there, Java junkies. It's Andrea. Before we start today's show, I have an exciting announcement to share with you. On April 17th, Time for Coffee is going to hold its first in-person live event. That's right. We're inviting you to join us in the audience for free. And we've got all kinds of cool swag to give away to the first 25 Java junkies who show up. So make sure to get there early. We're calling it Time for Coffee's Caffeinated Career Mini Summit. And it'll take place at the University of Maryland at 7 p.m. on April 17th. And for those of you in the area, we hope you'll join us at Maryland's College Park campus. Just go to timeforcoffee.org to get more information. Now, let's get on with the show. Hi there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's Time for Coffee the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. What's up? How's it going? I am so glad you press play. This is the start of an especially special week on Time for Coffee because we're going to be showing our T for C pride by featuring four amazing professionals in a variety of careers. Each one of these people is a member of the LGBTQ community. Ever since launching Time for Coffee last year, it's been really important to me that Time for Coffee be a place where Java junkies, no matter how you self-identify, can find professionals who you can relate to. Did you know that a 2015 study by OutNow, a Dutch LGBT marketing group, found that of the 100,000 LGBT people they surveyed in the U.S., almost 25% of lesbians, 30% of gay men, 40% of bisexuals, and 55% of transgender people believe that coming out in the workplace could impact their ability to get future promotions. And by the way, there are still 30 out of our 50 states in the U.S. where you can be legally fired because you are LGBT. We've clearly still got a long, long way to go to socialize what true equity in the workplace looks like and back it up with the laws to enforce it. So we're kicking off the week with a truly extraordinary person. She's not only the co-CEO and founder of a film production company, but she's also a musician who has a new album out. And she's someone who spent her whole professional career until very recently as an extremely successful CEO of various public and private companies. So please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. In this K-Cup Minnesota, Michelle Betancourt is going to share her personal story of transition, which goes far beyond her professional changes. That's because in recent years, Michelle transitioned and is today non-binary transgender male to female. If you want to learn more about Michelle's entire professional career, tune in again Tuesday, April 9th to learn about how she built her phenomenally successful career in sales and marketing and then as the CEO of tech software firms in Silicon Valley. Michelle, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am super caffeinated. Thank you so much for the kind introduction. Oh, you are so welcome. So you're caffeinated. What is your favorite caffeinated beverage of choice? 
I have a Pete's coffee, but a double shot of espresso in front of me right now. Very nice. A woman after my own heart. So, Michelle, I know you have had a lot of firsts over the course of your life, and I have too, but I want you to know this interview is a first for me on Time for Coffee because I have as yet to have the honor of featuring and interviewing someone who has transitioned as you have from male to female. And I want you to know I am just thrilled to have this opportunity. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time. I want to start things off before we get into your career, both with what you're doing now and what you have done for several decades, with asking you to please explain to Java junkies who may not be familiar with what we mean when we say that you are non-binary male to female. I've always been in the middle, if you will. So I, I, I've kind of identified part female, part male. And for years, it was a massive struggle because I was pretty good at keeping the secret. And then I hit a point where I just could no longer. I'd, I'd, I'd exhausted my inability to do so. I had kids. I had a wife. I had a, a very great job in the Silicon Valley with a public company. And I decided enough was enough. It's difficult to explain other than it's about the first time in my life I feel really good about myself, which is a terrible thing to say at age 58. A terrible thing on the one <laughs> hand, but on the other, a wonderful, beautiful thing that you are finally living the authentic you. It's lovely, by the way. And it's it's nice not to have to hide anymore. And it feels really, really, um, there's a tremendous sense of freedom that I have now, which I love. And it's it's shown up in my post-career endeavors as well, which is great. Yes. And let's get into that because your current job is co-CEO and founder of He Said, She Said Productions, where you have been the executive producer of a documentary called Beautiful Lie. What is the documentary about, Michelle, and what inspired it? So I was um, I was running a public company in Perva, really phenomenal company, great, just a great team, great market, and we were doing well. But I was becoming a bit unhinged, and I'd say, but in about the last year of me running the company, I went off and formed a production company with a a really good documentary filmmaker who whose work I admired. I flew him everywhere with the camera team, and we just captured footage. We had no idea where it was going. By the way, Joe Libero is the director and my partner. I know it. it made him crazy at times and frustrated to have to deal with me. But we decided that we would just capture what we could and see where it went. I refer to it as, as my as my years of, of living dangerously because I was exiting work and I was uh, it was my last year of CEO and chairman and it was a very messy year for me. Super, super messy. I just I didn't quite understand what I was going through and I really wasn't very self aware during it. And I had the benefit of, you know, of a company of a thousand employees and the employees were fabulous and my board was okay. So once the work ended and my head was clear, we started doing the edits. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to put together a film that was an honest and authentic portrayal of what it's like to go through one of these things. Because a lot of people do it 
And a lot of people are, are sideswiped by their own emotions and, and, and by what hits them, whether it's their family, their work environment or, or whatnot. And I was also very aware of the fact that it's difficult for transgender individuals to get jobs. We could talk about that later, but there are some interesting statistics that show that the odds are stacked against certain individuals from finding good, good gainful employment. I wanted to be a change agent in that. And I, I felt somewhat that if, if I looked out, uh, I knew what it was like for me at the tail end of work. And because it was a public company, I had public company inve- investors. And I think a few in particular felt that I presented probably too much baggage for the company going through what I was going through. And, and that, that was really part of my exit, by the way. I exited myself because it was, it was clearly not going to work. And so I, I wanted to put together a film that at least gave an accurate portrayal of that. And, and I wanted to believe that, that you know, we're, we're, I think we're 30 years away when you'll have transgendered individuals running public companies. I think we're just, we've just in the past five years come up to the point where it seems crazy to say this, having someone gay run a, run a public company, it's, it's kind of accepted. But if you remember when Tim Cook took over Apple, all of the questions that, that he was facing, it was, was his gayness going to, going to affect the company? And so I, I, th- I think we're 30 years away for transgendered. And I didn't want to set it back 30 years. I wanted to, I wanted to do something authentic. They could hopefully move it forward. So when is the film going to premiere? And so, yes, sorry. No, no, that's a great question. Thank you. I apologize. We've submitted to film festivals. We'll be at the New Hope Film Festival in July, and we're going to premiere it then. And we're excited. We finished it late last year, and we've done a lot of edits, and we've tried to go back and keep it current, and it will be good to get it out. It was, it was a labor of love, but it was also a labor of pain. Every time I watched it, it would set me back. A week because in effect we captured what was probably what would have been I think one of the most difficult years for anybody. You know, my father passed. I was going through this job change. I was going through personal changes. You now it's nice now that I could actually watch it and and be relaxed when I watch it. My kids are in it. My wife is in it. I have a lot of coworkers that were interviewed. I was lucky to have a great support system. Do you think, Michelle, that you could have become as successful as? you are today had you transitioned as a younger man? I don't think so. And I I think because, look, there are societal norms and being transgender is a a very visual thing. You can, one could, and I don't mean this to be a a, a mean statement, one could hide their gayness. You can hide it. I was on the board of a very, of, of a really excellent company. This market cap now is almost $4 billion and I was there before it was public. And I remember their CEO pulling me aside at one point, almost to, almost to confess that he had a partner and he was trying to keep it quiet. And that was in the past five years. But I think when you move to transgendered, there's a visual external representation of being transgendered. I mean, I don't look anything like I used to. You know, when I rang the closing bell at, at the New York Stock Exchange for Imperva, I look pretty different. My hair is much longer. My skin's a little different. You know, I had, I had little kids at the time and I had, I had a career and I was fearful of it ever getting out. And I, I think I think it would have been a tremendously difficult impediment for me. Why did you want to call the film Beautiful Lie? What are you telegraphing to your audience? I, th- I think a couple of things. I, I, number one, I lived a lie for a lot of years. I just did. I had a regiment. I would I would go to work. I would get in a plane. I'd fly somewhere. I would get to my hotel and I would change. I'd put on hair and makeup and I'd go sit in the bar and work. I did this for years and years and years. I would work in the evening, do email and whatnot. And I kept it a secret until it wasn't a secret any longer. And it, it was a, a tough secret because I, I kept it away from my kids. I kept it away from my family. I kept it away from my coworkers. 
And when you changed and put on makeup and women's clothing, was that because the urge was so overwhelming? Can you put into words for those who can't appreciate what it's like to live in a body as a transgender male or female? I just felt it seems I know it seems odd for those some of those listening, but but yeah, I felt more comfortable sitting out, relaxed as what I thought was myself. Now, you know, I look back a decade ago, and I, I look I even look back three years ago. I think I've landed <laughs> as to where I'm going to land right now. I feel great about myself, and life's easy. I've got my own hair, I've got my own fingernails, I, I've got my own eyelashes. It's all good. I've not had any surgery. I've had laser. I certainly spent a lot more time trying to keep myself in good shape by exercising a good diet. But I just felt a lot more natural being out as as Michelle than I did Anthony. And I used to go by AB, which was Anthony Betancourt. And I told him, if, if you knew me as AB, call me AB. Because if you start changing my name with me, I'll, it'll, it'll confuse me. So I've got people, <laughs> people who call me AB, people who call me MB. And I'm, I'm good with both. I, I at this age, I'm not caught up in pronouns. I'm just happy to be me. Well, it is such a pleasure to interview you, Michelle. And another one of your many talents is that you have written and produced a new rock album. Oh my God. Available on iTunes called New Normal. And you co-wrote it with Hendrik Helmer and recorded it with various studio luminaries in New York. Why did you want to take on a rock album at the same time you're executive producing and starring in your own documentary? You know, my life is one happy accident after another. It just has, has always been this way. I was in Machu Picchu with my wife and we were touring Peru for a week on a National Geographic tour. And my last two days in Machu Picchu, I started writing and I wrote what I thought seemed like five songs. I remember the song was called Absence, the first, the first one I wrote. It took me 20 minutes. I wrote it on a park bench in Lima, Peru. But this is the first time I'd ever written anything. And certainly I'm, I'm not a singer, but I just couldn't find anyone else to sing the lyrics like I wanted them sung. So it, it turned out okay. Well, I beg to differ with you because I have listened to the entire album and you have a lovely voice and you mentioned the song Absence. That song yeah. actually really resonated with me. And I actually wrote down the lyrics and I'd like to read just this one part to our listeners. You say, you found me in a heap of ash, broken axle out of cash. Which one of me did you find to love? Which one of me did you learn to leave? Seems no matter how hard we try, absence makes the heart run dry. I'm a stranger in a strange land. I haven't been me since I don't know when. Which one of me did you find to love? Which one of me did you learn to leave? What inspired that song? My wife and I were having issues at the time. And she's a wonderful woman. I mean, the, the, she, the fact that she's able to deal with me, I think is amazing. I remember skipping out on the last day of the tour. I just had to go off on my own. And I sat on a park bench and wrote those lyrics down. Then it was really about, she fell in love with one version of me, but I turned into a different version. Happily, no one left anybody. We had a little bit of a, a, little bit of a time away from each other, but we've done really well and uh, married 26 years. And I think year 26 seems to be our best one so far. Well, 
I highly recommend that Java junkies check out that wonderful album, New Normal. And I will repeat it and I'll also include it in show notes because I'm not doing it justice. And you have a lovely voice, Michelle. My voice is like cats mating in in an alley. No, it is. (laughs) It really is. It, It is actually one of the gifts I wish I had that I absolutely do not have. And I have so much admiration and a little bit of envy for those of you who can sing. So, you know, as I said in the introduction, until fairly recently, you spent the entirety of your professional life, and that was about 35 years in the corporate world. What inspired such a sharp right turn from being the CEO of various super successful public and private companies to go into film and music production? And how do you think the skills that you honed as a CEO, Michelle, may have actually positively affected your artistic endeavors? So I had spent a lot of years in corporate, um, as you said, 35 years. And my last job, I had a thousand employees. And during my tenure there, the market capitalization went from 750 million to 1.6 billion. Revenues went from about 130 to 320 million. And then then I had a a situation occur with an investor and, and that investor had gone to our board and said, did you know that your CEO is transgendered? I'd always enjoyed a very privileged life as a, as a white male. And all of a sudden I was under siege and it wasn't that the board was difficult, but it was no one knew what to do. And and I understand that. And so I found a good constructive way just to get myself out so I could get on with my life. And so I found myself in New York out of work, but my being out of work means that I, I've, um, I have a lovely apartment in the Upper East Side and I've got a lovely life and I go out to eat whenever I want. And so my being out of work is like, is not a bad thing. It's just, I had a lot of free time on my hands. I had finished the documentary and I, I, I've always really envied those who could earn a living in the arts. And while I've never shot away from new challenges and I, I wanted to take a little bit of time to see what I could do in film and music. And I, I realized that my executive skills are great. I could build great teams. I could manage projects. I could keep us all focused and on schedule and I could manage a budget. And I, I, th- I think I think my creative skills are really good in, in those areas. We've streamed 20,000 songs last month on, on Spotify, which is good. And I think we're, we're getting an uptick, but I'm not writing best hits. And, and when it comes to movies, as, as I sat and went through the editing process, I was, I was a fish out of water. So I think what I've learned is I'm really good at the executive stuff that, that, that I used when I used those skills to run a company. And I, I remain envious of those who can earn a living from the arts because that's, 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 I can't. Well, not yet. Right? Not yet. Just at the beginning of this. And who knows what's going to happen and evolve over the next 10, 15, 20 years. I I tend to gravitate back to the work stuff of which I'm really comfortable because it's that's where my skill set is. And I I think at some point I'll I'll go back to serving on boards and and trying to play more of an active role in businesses. Well, it's also about if you enjoy it, why not do it as well? Exactly. Exactly. So, Michelle, you have also founded the nonprofit Michelle Betancourt Foundation for Transgender Fair Employment, which happens to be especially relevant considering Time for Coffee's mission is to help young people 
of all genders, races, religions, and socioeconomic backgrounds to convert their college degrees into careers they love. Why did you feel the need to create this foundation so early in your own transition? When I transitioned at work at Imperva, and again, they were great, but I was a bit of a mess. And, and I think my being a bit of a mess created a more difficult environment than I would have normally had. But I did realize that there's certain behaviors that, that came back at me based upon this whole notion of me being transgendered. And, and again, there were, there were some large investors, we're talking funds, major funds in, in New York and Boston that were concerned. And I began to sense a little bit, a little bit of different kind of treatment. And I began to do a lot of research and, and realize that you know, there's not a lot of transgendered CEOs in tech maybe two or three. It's a pretty de minimis amount. And I wanted to do something to help bridge that gap. Today, more than one in four transgendered individuals have lost a job due to bias. And three quarters have experienced some form of workplace discrimination, refusal to hire, privacy violations, whatever it is. It's a problem. And again, I, I think we're 30 years away from it not being a problem. And I wanted to initially do some research and then raise some money and help find ways to pull that in a little bit so there is not a 30-year wait. But you know, societies take time and nothing happens overnight. I need to be on boards. I need to be active. I need to be consulting and doing work out there. Fantastic. Michelle, you've alluded to this on a couple of occasions. Could you elaborate a bit more about what the transition process was like for you and whether it met your own expectations that you had going into it? Of course. Thank you. That's a great question. So for years and years and years, I came across, for the most part, as a very typical white male. I'm 5'8", I'm 58 years old currently. And I ran companies and I had Rolex watches and I drove Bentleys. I, I was, I did everything I could do to present a more aggressive external version of me. Whereas on the inside, I wasn't that way at all. And I was pretending to be something I wasn't. And I got to a point in my life where I was tired of pretending. Now, all along, I had great fears that I could ruin my career. I could ruin my family. I could embarrass my kids. I can embarrass candidly, my first wife and my current wife. And I, I didn't know what to do. And I worked, I always think of these things as, a, as, as kind of an outer ring. And on the outer ring, I had friends, casual friends when I'd go to New York or when I'd go to Boston. And I was able to be myself with those casual friends and not myself at home. And so I had casual friends who knew a whole lot about me when no one else did. And over time, I worked into an inner ring. I, I began to tell my children I told my wives. I think what amazed me so much is I've had a lot, so much inner turmoil about this. And I had heard through so many stories from individuals, but really from some younger people about their own being abandoned by their families once they came out and told their families. And I didn't know what to expect. And what I found was it validated how very fortunate I've been uh, and how lucky I am. My kids, all they wanted me to be was happy. They really didn't care. My First wife wanted to know why I didn't tell her. She, she now understands. My wife, Karen, and I have worked through it. My very good friends have stayed very good friends. Those that were casual friends, some chose not to be friends with me anymore. That's okay. I think I was my greatest obstacle because I think I was expecting the worst. And maybe sometimes as I expected the worst, I treated people 
in a way that, that I pushed people back because I just didn't expect it to work out. And so, you know, as I sit here today, I look back at the best five years because it's been about a five year varying stages over five years to get where I am today. A lot of work colleagues now, I've resurfaced with them. I'm talking to old board members and whatnot. I think everyone does realize, hey, it's a little bit different external reading from me these days. Same brain, the same same will to win, the same experience base. And I'm more, I say, I'm mostly pleased with, with how it's gone. But again, it shows up in the film. I was a bit of a mess. It was It was a real trying time for me. Kind of an embarrassing time when I look back. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing that. And... I do believe that your honesty and willingness to open up one of the most private, painful experiences, but also joyful experiences in your life to the public when your film comes out will do so much good. I hope it does. Thank you. I really hope it does. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.